0: Let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 17. For those of you who weren't here last week, a uh, reminder, there is on your, on your seat a phone number that you can send anonymous questions to. We've already gotten one question today. Uh, We'll take a few minutes at the end of the uh, sermon to engage with some of the questions. We're not going to put these cards on your seats every week, so you might want to put this in your phone so that you have it. Uh, If you'd like, I can give you Alicia's personal number. You can just text them to her. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) I'm going to read chapter 17, verses 17 through the end of the chapter of the Gospel of John, please listen as is appropriate for God's Word. This is our Lord praying to the Father. Sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, Be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me... Maybe in them, and I in them. So read the words of the living God. So a few years ago, somebody in this church introduced me to a television show. I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it might have been Bob Frank. We'll see if he acknowledges this or not. Uh, it was a show that uh, I really only watched it once or twice, uh, and that's all I could stand. It was called The Red-Green Show. Oh, yeah. Not you? I got one, oh yeah, over here. So whoever you are, fess up to me later if you're the one that... Uh, raise your hand if you've ever seen The Red-Green Show. Wow, really? Uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's... Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like uh, MacGyver meets Mr. Bean. <laughs> I mean, isn't that a, isn't that a, a, a fair assessment? It's, it, is, it is crazy. Whoever made me sit and watch an hour of this, it was like torture. Uh, I think it's a PBS show. I don't remember. But anyway, but there's one line that stuck with me. This was years ago that someone made, I mean, uh, in, in, invited me to watch it. And one line stuck with me from this show, and it was something like this. If the ladies can't find you handsome, at least let them find you handy. Why did that stick with me? Well, I I know, I, I know, I know what you're thinking. The Lord rebuke you. <laughs> My wife just said I'm not handy. <laughs> Ergo, I'm handsome. All right, I'll take... <laughs> well, despite that, what? <laughs> we should have gone with another introduction. I think the reason that stuck with me is because as a man, I want to be useful. It's who we are as men. And I I know this is probably true of women to some degree as well, but for men, there is something about how God has wired us that we want to have a mission. We want to know that we're doing something of lasting value. It's, it's, It's what we're supposed to be. And of course, in our culture today, everything is against that. Uh, men are being, being crushed, you know, everything men do is called toxic masculinity, whatever nonsense that is, and, and, and all this, you know, down with man, let's, let's lift up women. You had the women's march yesterday, you can't have a man's march, or at least nobody shows up. Uh, but we as men want to believe that we're accomplishing something in the world, that we are handy in, in something. We would like to be handsome too, but, but we want to be handy. If there is a suicide in our culture, three out of four times, it's a man. Depression and despair and discouragement, the numbers are very, very much skewed toward the the male end of things. And I believe partly because the world is continually, at least the Western world, is continually telling men you don't really serve a significant purpose. And we in the church need to make sure that we don't follow suit. We have to tell men, you serve a great purpose. Uh, if, for those of you in the Sunday seminar this morning with the, in the parenting class, Pat did a great job of, uh, of explaining how fathers have a crucial role in the family, which leads to a crucial role for the family in the church and the world it is, is really good, and we men need to jump on that as well. It seems like, though, a lot of times when churches start talking about this, they kind of go one side or the other. One side is, yeah, men are important, so we're going to go the macho route, All right? We're going to, if, if you're going to be a real man, you've got to go live in the woods, you've got, to, got to catch a raccoon with the bare hands or, you know, t- a deer, something that you can eat, uh, and, 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 and ugh, more of Jordan, right? Ugh, right? You've got, and, and you've got to grow a beard, which I think is true, but... We kind of go the macho route of manhood or the other, and it becomes um, just getting in touch with your inner self and all that kind of stuff. But what we as men are driven to do is make a difference and have a purpose and a mission. And when men and women together are working for a purpose and then the whole family is working for a purpose, watch out. And then when the church made up of men and women and and families and single folks, when we strive together to do something, we can do great things as a community, as the body of Christ. But we have to make sure that what we're doing is what our King tells us to do. In this passage... Jesus, the high king, is going to give his disciples very clear instruction on what we are to be about as the church. Two times he mentioned it, in case you missed it. At the end of verse 21, he said, So that, whenever you see so that in your Bible, it's a purpose statement. Here's the purpose. Whatever he's been talking about, it is so that the world may believe that you sent me. He's going to tell these disciples, whatever I'm talking to you about, it is so that the world may believe that you sent me. Then in the middle of 23, he says something very similar, so that the world may know that you sent me. Those are our marching orders. The Bible talks about it in different ways. We have adopted Colossians 128 as our purpose statement. To present everyone complete in Christ, it's the same thing. Or to to give Jesus first place in everything, it's the same thing. Or to make disciples of all the nations, it's the same thing. Different ways the Bible says it, but this is our mission as believers and as the church. To tell the world, God sent his son into this world. So we're going to see that as Jesus sets, uh, sends out these first disciples 2,000 years ago. So back to verse 17. Remember, this is our Lord praying. He's praying to the Father for the 11. Uh, there were 12, and then Judas, of course, has gone to, uh, to bring the authorities to arrest Jesus. He's betrayed Jesus. So it's just the 11 in the upper room with Jesus, or they're, they're en route now, and he's praying for them, and he says to the Father about the, the eleven. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. When we see the word sanctify, we tend to think of the doctrine of sanctification, our progression in righteousness, where God is making us more righteous, and and we think of uh, you know a year ago you were doing this, and now if you've progressed in sanctification, you should be better at that. You should be uh, more holy and that kind of thing. And that is true, it's what the word means uh, in some cases, but at its root, sanctify means to set apart, and set apart for use to God. That's, that's how this is used. Uh, the, one of the first places this occurs in the Bible is back in Exodus, where God tells the children of Israel to set apart or sanctify for me your firstborn sons. This was after the plagues were poured out on Egypt, and remember God, uh, the final plague was God killed the firstborn sons of Egypt, and he spared the firstborn sons of Israel. And then he says, because I spared your firstborn sons, they belong to me. So set them apart for my use, sanctify them for my use. But it wasn't very much longer later that he, he said, okay, I will make a trade with you. I will take the entire tribe of the Levites as a substitute for your firstborn sons. So now I want all of the the Levites to be set apart for my use. And they became the priests. They ministered in the presence of God. And then he said, sanctify Aaron and his sons to be the high priests. And they are useful to me as the high priests. And then everything that had to do with the temple, the tabernacle, the the spoons, the tongs, the bowls, everything that had to do with the sacrifices, they were all sanctified to the Lord. They were set apart for use to God. They weren't to be used in the everyday Jewish meals, but only in the temple. And they had to be cleaned a certain way uh, as, so they would be consecrated to the Lord. That's what the word is talking about, set apart and useful to the Lord. So when Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth, he's saying, set these men apart to be used by you, Lord, Father. Set them apart in the truth. Now, if you've been paying attention to John you know, this is not just a general, abstract truth. All right, so I'm gonna give you a pop quiz. Well, I'm gonna ask you a question to count to three, and you better all get it right. In the Bible, and especially in John's gospel, the truth means one thing. On the count of three, tell me what it is. One, two, three. That was really right and really poor response. (laughs) Dave even prepared you in the prayer when he said the right answer to every question is Jesus. He is the truth, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He is the expression of God. We saw this way back in chapter 1. No one has seen the Father at any time, but this one, the Word, has expressed Him or explained Him to us. He is the revelation of God. So what Jesus is saying is, Father, set these men apart for use to you in the truth of who I am. Your word, your testimony, your your expression of truth is me. Set them apart in me to be useful to you. Why? Because Jesus is going to send them. Look at verse 18. As you, Father, sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus came to show that he is the Son of God sent by the Father, and he's going to take that message to the world, and he's starting with these 11, and he's sending them on the same mission that he himself was given. Verse 19, he says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. In other words, he's saying, I set myself apart in service to you, in light of the truth of of the fact that you sent me, in order to serve as an example for them to follow my example. Verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. He's going to talk about unity throughout this, this passage. And as Christians, sometimes we get all kind of um, discouraged when we read this passage and read this prayer. Uh, we think God has an answer to this prayer. We, don't, we look at the church and we think, ah, "The church is not very unified." Well, it is unified if you understand what unity is. We tend to think that unity means we all have to believe the same thing. We have to agree on everything. Now, we could do that if you all would just take everything I say and say, yes. You know, we could could be the fulfillment of this prayer, like right today, but you keep arguing with me about stuff, and you're causing disunity. No, no, unity is not about uniformity where we all have to agree on every jot and tittle of everything. The unity Jesus is talking about is unity of purpose, unity of mission. Doesn't mean there's no distinctions and, and 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 struggles along the way. Again, kind of going back to the Sunday seminar on family, uh, when you've got children in the home, the, the family, if it's, a, if it's a well-ordered family, the family is working together on the same mission, but do they get along on everything? You have, some of you have brothers and sisters, right? And you've seen siblings in, in action. We don't always get along perfectly. But we're still one as a family. We're still moving in the same direction. Uh, think of, uh, and this will get some, uh, some of you real close to home, think of our different military branches. Do they all approach the same w- things the same way? Do, do they all get along just, just great? I mean, uh, we have on our elder board representations of several different of uh, the military branches. And I can tell you, there's competition going on. You know, they, they, they're constantly throwing barbs at one another. And you think, well, they're all doing the same thing, aren't they? No, not exactly. And every time there's a, a football game, it's funny to think about military people playing football. They're never in the top 20. Well, they're in the top 25 now and then. But Anyway, the Army-Navy game, Navy-Air Force. Do the play, Navy play the Air Force? Does anybody play the Air Force? Do they ever win? Oh, I got a few. See, I told you I was going to poke you a little bit. There, there's, there's, there's disagreement. Can you imagine having the leaders of the different branches together plotting out how to handle the situation? You know there's going to be disagreement. No, no, we need to come by sea. No, we need to just go drop bombs. No, we need boots on the ground. But what is it that unites them? Common purpose, right? They all exist to defend us against our enemies. And when the time comes to act, we're confident that our armed forces are going to work together for that purpose and that end. And that's a good thing. And it does not in any way take away from their unity when along the way, when they're discussing strategy and such, that they have differences of opinion. You know, Paul and Barnabas, teamed up together as as early missionaries in the church. And they did a lot of great things. And then they had a disagreement. And it got pretty heated. And finally, Paul said, I am not taking uh, uh, Mark with us. And Barnabas says, yes, you are. And he's no, I'm not. So they ended up splitting. And Paul took his friend Silas, and they went. And Barnabas and Mark went. And you know what? Now, we had two missionary teams going out to convert the world. Now, I don't know if it was sin. I don't know if the Lord was displeased in their inability to to decide together. But I do know the outcome was the mission was extended because of that. And later on, they had one big group hug. It was good. When Jesus says, I want them to be one, Father, as we are one, it doesn't mean that we always have the group hug. It doesn't mean that we all just think, mm, I would never disagree with a thing that comes out of your mouth. I love you so much. We're just, you know, all, Everybody's all cuddly. That's not unity. Unity is a purpose and mission. I came, Father, to do the work you've given me to complete your mission, and I want them to be united in mission as well. And that's what he's praying for. Verse 23, I and them, you and me, in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. When we as the church gather together to accomplish evangelism, missions, extending the kingdom of Christ in this world, the world sees that we are united. And if we have some family squabbles along the way, that's fine. As long as they don't become true dysfunctional fighting, we're about the bigger mission. Get after it, and we will fulfill Jesus' prayer here. Ah, Verse 24, I love this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me Be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. This is where it's all heading. Everything is heading to what old theologians used to call the beatific vision, the blessed vision, seeing Christ himself in unveiled glory. Soon and very soon, we just sang about it. Jesus here says, I desire this, Father. I want them to see my glory. He has developed a very close relationship with these men. He he, he loves them like a father loves their sons or an older brother loves the younger brothers, and he wants them to participate in his enthronement. Those of you fathers who have sons especially... Maybe you've experienced this or you can imagine what this is like. If you are the recipient of, of some kind of award, you've achieved some level of, ex, of success, is there anything more wonderful than standing on the platform to receive that, that recognition and, and having your son up there with you? I mean, you, you think of the... Like the, the MVPs of the Super Bowl, and you see those stories at t- or the, the pictures at times when, when the kids all come running out after the game, and he picks up his, his son and walks up there and carries him up on the platform while he's being interviewed. You know, what a, what a great sight. And you can just tell the father is beaming that he gets to have his, his son right there with him. And, and I know there's a lot of excitement this year that it won't be Tom Brady holding his kids this year. It's gonna be somebody else. And he's gonna hold his kid and think, I'm so thrilled that you, my son, get to be up here with me and experience this moment. There's just there's something wonderful about that as, as a dad. And that's that's kind of what Jesus is saying. Father, I desire, I want this. I want them to see my glory, to, to participate, to be there with me when I sit on the throne. It's coming. It's coming. He says, you have loved me before the foundation of the world. And he's already talked about how he's going to go back to that glory that he had before. And he says, oh, righteous father, verse 25, although the world has not known you, yet I've known you. And that's why he calls him righteous father. God is still righteous, even though so many in the world have rejected Jesus. You're still righteous. You're still just. The world hasn't known you, but I've known you, and these have known you, these 11, and they've known that you sent me, and I've made your name known to them and will make it known. Isn't that interesting? I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known. If you remember what else he said in this uh, upper room discourse here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is going to come upon these men, and he's going to lead them into all truth, so they can remember everything that Jesus taught them, which is that Jesus came from the Father. I will make it known to them again through the Holy Spirit, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Again, the unity that we have with Jesus is not a feel-good moment. It's all about the mission. It's all about... Believing that God sent his son and telling the world that God sent his son. <laughs> so far, everything we've looked at has been primarily to these 11 disciples. The question is well, what does this mean for us? We're going to get here. Do you know that you are in the Bible? If you are a Christian, you're actually mentioned in the Bible. In fact, you're mentioned by Jesus, you are prayed for by Jesus, and you are mentioned in the text that I just read to you. Verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone... So this is Jesus praying to the Father about those 11. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's you, and that's me. If you're sitting here as a Christian today, you came to believe in Jesus Christ through the words of these 11 men. They wrote the words down. They shared it with their mouths to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And here we are 2,000 years later and we have their words. And we know about Jesus. And Jesus saying, I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. What's his prayer? That they may all be one. Not that we all have the kumbaya moment, but that we are one in mission, that we see our purpose on planet Earth is to convince the world, at least proclaim to the world, the Father has sent His Son. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you are sent me. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That is why we are on planet Earth to extend His kingdom, to bring more people into the kingdom, to tell everyone that we can come in contact with, the Father sent His Son. You can be reconciled with the Father. That that passage that I read at the very beginning, we are all sinners... We live among sinful people. We live among people who do their own thing, who aren't concerned with pleasing God. And someday they're going to stand before God and be called to account for their actions. Every one of us is going to stand before God. And if we have disobeyed God, as we all have, remember Jesus called him righteous father the righteous thing to do for the righteous father is to condemn every person who has disobeyed. That's the right thing to do. And God has said, I'm going to do that unless you believe in my son. But if you'll believe in my son, I will forgive you. And on that day, instead of judging you guilty, I will declare you righteous if you believe in my son. We are surrounded by people who don't know that message. By people who do not know that they're going to give an account to God for their sin. And they do not know that the Father sent his son to go to the cross and die so that they could be forgiven. People don't know that. I I can't remember, I think I shared this recently with you, but if not, I'm going to share it. If I did, well... You get it again. I was talking to an unbelieving couple just a few weeks ago, and I, I made an allusion to Adam and Eve, and the wife looked at me, completely blank stare. No clue who Adam and Eve were. We cannot assume that anybody we're talking to knows anything about this book. Well, if she doesn't know who Adam and Eve is, you know she doesn't know the truth of who Jesus is, and she doesn't know why it's important that Jesus came. We have to tell people it's our mission. It's why we are here on planet Earth, and that's where our unity comes from, is that mission. Yes, there are differences. Yes, there are things that it'd be great if everybody understood it the right way. Right, which is your way and my way, right? The way we understand it. Not every Christian does. We had a, a discussion um, recently. There's a there's a local uh, a nearby Presbyterian church that wants to use our building in the afternoons on Sundays. They're they're trying to get off the ground. They're trying to build their church, and they'd like to meet here in our building. And you know, they're Presbyterians. That means they're wrong about baptism, right? I mean, you know that they're wrong. I've met with a pastor, and I told him you're wrong. No, I the ironic thing is he went to a Baptist seminary and I went to a Presbyterian seminary. Very interesting. <laughs> and I said, well, just go back to your roots, man. Just go back to what you Anyway, they believe different things about baptism. And I would say there's some significant ramifications of that. And there are a few other things that they're just wrong on. But you know what? This pastor and his church... They have a vision and a passion to tell people about the Son of God. And for that reason alone, we are brothers. We're on the same team. We're on the same mission. We're the army, and they're the... uh, We're the right armed force, and they're not quite as good one, but we're all doing the same thing and seeking to accomplish the same mission. And we can stand side by side with them and complete the mission Christ has given us. And there are a lot of Christians in this world, in this city, that don't agree with us on everything. That's okay. We don't all agree on everything. I don't agree with myself on everything. But the mission remains that the world may know that the Father sent the Son that's what we're here for. And as the body of Christ at Front Range Alliance, that's our purpose. And I want to tell you, men, women, children, you don't have a lot of time to become despairing and discouraged and frivolous with your time when you realize the mission that Christ has laid out for us. There's a lot of work to be done. And he's given it to us to do it. All right, let's see what questions you have, if any. Do we have any, or did I explain it so thoroughly that nobody... Oh, we... Okay. Okay. How can a man strive to be godly and teach the gospel in his home without coming across abrasive or overbearing? Well, easily, just don't be abrasive or overbearing. (laughs) I mean, come on, that's not hard. Um, Oh, I'd love to be able to ask a follow-up question on that. Um, You can't always convince those who are hearing you that you're not abrasive. You know, so the, the, the listeners have, have some role to play here. Basically, you know, if I don't agree with you and I don't particularly like you, then I can, I'm going to interpret you as abrasive and overbearing. So we, the listeners have to have, to have grace and uh, patience in their heart. But sometimes the teacher, the, the, the husband, the father can be um, judgmental or arrogant uh, in presenting it. And I, you know, as I talk to men about leading their families, I say, look, you don't want to preach at them like, like you're the pastor up in front of the congregation. All right, family, you sit there, I'm going to stand, open the Bible with me, and I'm going to teach you because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the pastor here. I, a lot of people talk about the father being the pastor of the home, and, and there's some element there, but that, that doesn't mean you stand up and act like I know everything and you know nothing. Um, so you, you do have to watch your demeanor. Uh, if your goal is their edification... And not to make yourself look good, or to tear them down, I, I think you can you can accomplish this. So, but it's a it's a two-way street. The uh, the the rest of the family needs to be gracious and and here with with uh, patience, and the, the the guy who's leading needs to make sure that he's careful, that he's not um, overbearing. Well, that's the word. That he's not too harsh. And he's what he's saying. All right, next. What does love them even as you have loved me mean in verse 23? Verse 23? Oh, I was looking at verse 24. No wonder that didn't make any sense. I am in you, you and me, Let me perk perfect in you so that they may know that Jesus may love them even as you have loved me. Yeah, again, it's... um, this all has to do, it ties in with pleasing the Lord. It's a good question because there, in the last generation or two, you have heard preachers and teachers and pastors say and authors say uh, so much so that God loves us unconditionally, right? We hear that over and over again. God loves you unconditionally. You realize the Bible never says that, right? That is not a phrase that you will ever find in the Bible, Now, we don't want to go too far the other way and say that we merit God's love either. But there is a relationship between the Father's love for the Son because of the Son's obedience and the Father's love for us because of our obedience. We've already seen this in this Upper Room Discourse. Uh, Look back at verse 23 of chapter 14. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. You see that? Jesus is not hesitant to say, My Father will love you if you obey me. The alternative is, God will love you if you disobey him. That's not how it works. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. And and there are several other examples of this. So he loves us, he loved the disciples, and he will love us even as the father loved the son. Well, do you remember, again, someone mentioned this already, I guess it's in the parenting class. When God the Father first speaks, the first words we have from him, uh, well, that's not true. The second words we have from him about Jesus is, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. Because he's obeying me. Right? So he loves these men because they are going to obey Jesus. And that's what he's, he's getting at. As much as you love me, Uh, Is fine as long as we don't get too mushy with that. I just love you so much, Jesus. Like God says to Jesus, I just love you so much. And I love those people so much. Uh, It's not a a sentimental kind of love. It is a, a father loving his son because his son is pleasing him. Now that doesn't mean that every time you displease him, God says, oh, I don't love you anymore. It's not that kind of thing. We must not put our works on either side, uh, either ditch, where either they don't matter at all or they're everything. No, we are to obey him, serve him, please him. And he says, I will love you as you do that. If you have more questions on that, you can talk to me afterward. Next, is Jesus still praying these kinds of prayers in John 17? I think so, I think so. Uh, he ever lives to intercede for us, he is constantly interceding for us, and whether that means he has to actively pray or just within the Godhead it is sort of perpetual, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, The point is, I I, I believe so, We, we know that he is our great high priest who is ongoingly interceding for us, and that would seem to include praying, so I believe so. I believe He is praying to the Father, keep them in my love, keep them in your love, keep them unified, and enable them to complete the mission. All right, we're going to wrap it up. I want to conclude with the words that the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. You'll see some of the same themes from John 17 in this when Paul says to Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. See that? He, he says, Be diligent. Strive to present yourself approved to God. Work hard to gain God's approval. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy. Accurately handling the word of truth. Everything starts with knowing Christ, who is the truth, the message of Christ, and and understanding that rightly, pleasing him because of who Christ is. And then he says, a little bit later, he says, now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be a vessel of gold and silver or wood and clay? You want to be gold and silver, right? It's more valuable. It's more useful. It's more enduring. It says there are some vessels of honor and some of dishonor. Which one do you want to be? Three of you want to be honor. Good. (laughs) Therefore, If anyone cleanses himself from wickedness, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, remember we talked about what that means, set apart, and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. We are to strive after righteousness and usefulness to please the master, and set ourselves apart for that. So God sets us apart, but we have our role to play in that as well, to make a difference, to do something for Christ to expand his kingdom. Remember, we've, I'm going to just keep preaching this until you get so tired of it. There will be no end to the increase of his kingdom or of peace. Well, how is he building his kingdom on planet Earth? Through holy vessels who are useful in the master's hand. That's our job. He has laid the foundation. We build on that foundation until we all grow up into the temple of Christ. That's our work. Let's pray. Righteous Father, I pray for every brother and sister in this room that you would make us useful to you, that you would answer our Lord's Prayer and that you would set us apart to be used by you to convince this world that you sent Jesus. Father, I know there are, there are people in this room right now who need to grow in their usefulness. And there may even be some here who do not truly believe that you sent your Son. Would you, through your word, through your people, bring them to the truth? Your word is truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. Lord, use Front Range Alliance Church to complete the mission that the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. Amen.